turn to the, the epistle of Paul, the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And we're reading just the first eight verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Amen, and we give thanks to God for these public readings of his infallible and inerrant word. Now, I've been asked to take a number of services over uh, this summer. Uh, I'm here in the will of God next week, and then in August uh, I have another uh, uh, appointment here. And so I thought it would be good to at least begin to go through one of the, uh, one of the books in the scripture. And so I'm going to be preaching morning and evening in these next few weeks on the letter of Paul to the Colossians. And this morning, we turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1. Now, the city of Colossae had been a very thriving city, described by Xenophon, the Greek writer, in 401 BC, as a city inhabited and prosperous and great. But by the time the Apostle Paul was writing to them, it had declined in importance. It had been surpassed by neighboring cities like Hierapolis and Laodicea. In Colossae, well, the, the population of Colossae was a mixture of idol-worshipping pagans and Jews. There were a large number of Jews in the city of Colossae. So it was a mixed city. And Paul wrote to the Colossians from his Roman imprisonment. And he has one particular purpose as he writes to them. He had been made aware that there was a great deal of heresy in the city of Colossae. There were two particular heresies, and we shall look at those later on. There were two particular heresies 
One was uh, called the Gnostic heresy, comes from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge, and they were seeking to impose upon Christians secret passwords and different types of, of metaphysical knowledge. So that was one heresy. The other heresy was a Jewish heresy. Some of the Jews who had become Christian were seeking to impose upon the believers certain Jewish practices before they became Christians. So Paul is writing to them to warn them against these heretical movements, to direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to emphasize the virtue of full and free forgiveness in Christ. So let's get into these opening verses of chapter 1. And the first thing that we see is the writer and the recipients of the letter. The writer and those to whom the letter came. Paul begins by introducing himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that is the only, the only authorization that he needed for the message that he was bringing to them. He had been commissioned by God, that's why we read in Acts chapter 9, of Paul's conversion and his commissioning. He was to be the apostle or the sent one to the Gentiles. We see that in Acts chapter 9 and verse 5 and 15 and 16. He was to bring God's message to God's people. Now that seems very straightforward, doesn't it? He was to bring God's message to God's people. And so when the people read what Paul wrote, they were to receive it as the very words of God. It was not to be seen as a message from a great man. It wasn't to be seen as a message from uh, this particular person who had been a Pharisee and was well-educated. It was to be received because it was a message from the living God. And that is how we are to receive it. When we read the scripture, we are reading the very words of God. It is as though God were standing there speaking these words to us. And I think we can say that if God were to be standing before us, he would say nothing different than what he has said in his word. Because this is God's inspired and infallible word. And that is how we are to receive it. And although this letter was addressed to Colossae, it was also intended for the church in Laodicea. We have that in, in chapter 4 and verse 16. This was quite common. The letters were sent from one church to another. Uh, they're told in chapter 4 that this letter was to be given to the church in Laodicea, and the letter which Laodicea received, which we don't have, but the letter that they received was to be passed on to Colossae. 
And the people who received this letter are described in important ways. First of all, as I said to the children, they're described as saints. Not especially holy people, but people who were consecrated to God through Christ. I wonder if we always consider that when we look at ourselves. Do we consider that God calls each one of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, saints? Do we consider ourselves to be saints? Do we consider ourselves to be worthy of being described as saints? And yet, that is how the scripture describes us. We are saints because we have been separated to God. We have been separated to the living God. We belong to him. We are saints. But he describes them further. He says they are faithful brethren. What a wonderful way to be described. The one thing that God requires of his people is faithfulness. Sometimes I think we, we think that what God requires of us is success. He doesn't. He requires of us faithfulness. There are many Christian people who have been faithful in extremely difficult circumstances and they have never seen growth. They have never seen the Lord working in them and through them, and yet they have been faithful. We do not judge men and women. We do not judge them by whether they are successful. We judge them as God judges them. We judge them as to whether or not they are faithful brethren. And here in this city of Colossae, where people were being, where the believers were being troubled by heretical teaching, the Lord looks at them through, uh, through Paul and sees them as being faithful brethren. There were many who remained faithful in severe trial. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God was to look upon this company of people and say, here we have faithful brethren. Here we have faithful brethren. There's no greater description that the child of God can wish for than to be described by God as being faithful. They were saints, they were faithful brethren, and they were in Christ. They were in Christ. Sainthood and faithfulness depend upon a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that you know that. It depends upon a faith upon a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have the outward trappings. We come to church. We're members of 
a denomination that is evangelical and faithful. We read our Bibles. We pray. But we can do all of that and yet still not have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do all these external things and yet still not have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the minister cannot look upon you and say whether or not you have a living relationship with Christ. He can see the outward evidences, but he can't see your heart. He can't see your heart. And the only one who knows whether you have only that which is external or you have that which is internal is you. You are the only one who knows whether you truly have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is surely something that we need to think about. We are told in the scripture that we are to examine ourselves as to whether we are of the faith or not. When was the last time you examined yourself? to see truly whether you were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or simply someone who goes through the motions, someone who does all the right things but doesn't really have a personal living relationship with Christ. So these are the, the writer and the recipients. The second thing we see in this passage is the greeting that Paul gave. Look at what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, greetings in the time of the Apostle Paul were much more important than the greetings that we have. We say, hello, how are you? We never expect a response. And there were, in New Testament times, fairly standard greetings, both spoken and written. And here, the Apostle Paul uses and combines both the Greek and the Hebrew greetings. And at the same time, he fills them with a meaning that is specifically Christian. And this is the the second shortest greeting found in Paul's epistles. Only 1 Thessalonians 1 has fewer words. And yet, this greeting contains tremendously important teaching. This twofold greeting, grace and peace, these two words contain everything that is necessary for a fruitful and contented life in the presence of God. Grace and peace. That's what Paul wished for these believers. So let's have a look at them. First of all, grace. Grace is that beautiful New Testament word that speaks of unmerited favor and goodness. 
Now we often use this particular word to refer to God's mercy and goodness to us in salvation. The undeserved favor of Almighty God for hell-deserving sinners. It's the goodness and the love of God in sending his beloved son into this world to bear the punishment that we so richly deserve. It's the mercy of God in giving to those who least deserve it the free gift of salvation. That's God's grace. Why does God save people like us? It's a question we can't answer. Why does God save people like us? He surely could have chosen many, many more appropriate people, many better people, many cleverer people. He could have bestowed his love and his mercy and his salvation upon so many better people. But he didn't do it. He chose us. And he sent his only son. And I want you to think about this. It's something we know. I know we do. I want you to think about this. If you had been the only person chosen by God, it would have taken the same grace the same mercy, the same love that it did to save a multitude which no man could number. If he had only chosen one, he still would have sent his beloved son into this world to live and to die and to rise again. He did all that for each one of us. Great grace and mercy But it doesn't end there. God's favor, undeserved by us, does four things for us. First of all, it strengthens us in weakness. We are so weak and feeble in our Christian walk, are we not? Do we not so often fail? Do we not so often cause the name of Christ to be blasphemed because of the way that we live? We are weak. We know what we should do. We know what we've been called upon to do. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said, the good that I want to do, that I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, that is what I do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And in our weakness, God graciously strengthens us. God gives strength to his weak people. He doesn't need to do it, but he does it in grace and in mercy because he loves his people, because he sent his son to die for them, he will help them, he will strengthen them, he will cause them to overcome, and it is purely in the grace and mercy of God that he does it. He does it. He strengthens us in our weakness. But he also helps us to resist temptation. 
Every day, we're tempted by the devil, aren't we? Now, your temptation may not be the same as my temptation. My temptation may not be the same as your temptation. But you see, that's where the devil is so cunning. He knows your weakest point. He knows the things that will attract you. He knows the things that would cause you to fall. And so that's where he tempts you. But God has promised to strengthen us, to enable us to overcome and to resist temptation. Another evidence of his grace, another evidence of his mercy. He he strengthens us in weakness. He helps us to resist temptation. And in his grace, he illuminates our minds. The world in which we live is a very dark world. The world in which we live loves wickedness. And sometimes we become, our minds become overcome with it. We hear so much, we see so much, that our own minds become darkened. But in his grace, he illuminates our mind. He directs us to scripture to help us to overcome the darkness of the world. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ in his temptation in the wilderness, he was given scripture to quote to resist the evil one. So God in his grace enables us to overcome temptation. And then fourthly, we are told that in his grace, in his mercy and goodness, he daily loads us with his benefits. He daily loads us with his benefits. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. When we sit down at the breakfast table, these good gifts come from God. When we go to do our work, The strength and the ability to do it comes from God. Every single precious gift that we receive, we receive from him in his grace and his mercy. So that's the blessing of grace. But Paul also desired for these people peace. And one of the great blessings that come through God's grace to us is peace. Now, peace is not just the absence of conflict. So often people use the word peace simply to mean that there's no fighting, there's no conflict. But the Hebrew word shalom means much more than the absence of conflict. It means completeness, soundness, or wholeness. And the peace that Paul desired for the Colossians was, first of all, peace with God because of the forgiveness of our sins. Because there can be no peace with God until we have received the forgiveness of our sins. He desired 
peace with God because of forgiveness, but he also desired for them peace from God. Peace with God and peace from God. And if we have peace from God, it enables the Christian to be content no matter what his personal circumstances may be. Paul himself had learned that lesson. He experienced the peace from God, and so he was able to say, I have learned in whatever state I find myself therein to be content. And one of the great curses of this present age is discontent. People are not satisfied with what they have. They always want more. They want more money. They want more possessions. They want more prestige. All the time it's more and more and more. But for the believer, the believer who has peace from God will be content. He will be content no matter what his circumstances. And it's hard to be content, isn't it, when things don't go well? When we're sick, when we suffer pain, it's hard to be content. And yet, the peace that comes from God enables us to be content no matter what our circumstances, whether our circumstances are good or whether they're bad. And so Paul prays for these Colossian believers, grace and peace. And if we have grace from God and peace with God and peace from God, then truly we are enabled to live a God-glorifying and satisfying life here on this earth. So we've seen the writer and the recipients. We've seen the greeting that Paul gave. And thirdly, the thanksgiving that Paul made. The thanksgiving that Paul made. Verses 3 to 8 are all about thanksgiving. Now, Paul followed the normal writing practices of the Middle East, where greeting was normally followed by a word of thanksgiving to some heathen deity or other. But while Paul follows the usual form of letter writing, he demonstrates that what he is saying is more than mere form. In his continual prayers for the church, Paul made the element of thanksgiving extremely prominent. And he is very specific about the reasons for his rejoicing. The reason, for, the reason for his thanksgiving to God for the lives of the Colossian Christians. Now, it's significant that Paul doesn't focus attention upon their health, upon their wealth, upon their prosperity, but only on the evidences of godly character that could be seen in the Colossian Christians. And there are three things for which Paul and Timothy give thanks 
as they pray for the Christians in, in Colossae. First of all, he gives thanks that the faith that they professed was known far and wide. Now, we need to take into account that Paul had never met these believers. Paul had not been to Colossae, but he had heard about them. Now, this was without email, without any kind of uh, electronic communication. But Paul, in Rome, had heard about these Christians. Look at what he says. He says, which has come to us indeed as it... uh, He speaks about having learned it from Epaphras, but he says, we pray for you because of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth and so on. So he prays and gives thanks to God because their faith was known. And I wonder, I wonder if the people in Newtonards are known and their faith spoken of throughout the whole world. Do people know about, not the fact that you belong to this congregation, but are you known as a people who, de- who demonstrate their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had never met these people, but he'd heard of their faith and of their love, that they loved one another. And wasn't that one of the characteristic marks of the early church? You remember that the early church was characterized by love. Look how these Christians love one another. That was said by a heathen emperor. The faith that they professed was known far and wide. But secondly, he says that their faith was a well-grounded faith. Paul speaks of three indispensable characteristics of true Christian character. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And for the Christian, a true appreciation of the hope that he has in Christ will strengthen his faith and will increase his love for those who share like precious faith. A true appreciation of the hope that we have in Christ What is our hope? Our hope is that we shall see him as he is. Our hope is that we shall be transformed into his likeness. Our hope is that no one and nothing is able to pluck us from the hands of our sovereign God who holds us firmly in his grip. That's our Christian hope. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, that will increase our love for those who share the same faith that we do. We may not know them. 
We may have differences of opinion, but because they are believers in Christ, we love them. And then thirdly, their faith was a gospel faith. And the reason that they were as they were was because of the preaching of the gospel. They had heard the gospel preached through Epaphras. It was through the gospel alone that they had come to faith. It was because of the gospel alone that they were able to demonstrate the Christian characteristics for which Paul gives thanks. He wants to help believers. You see, they were facing these heretics. And these heretics, especially the Gnostics, were saying to them, it's okay, it's okay to have faith in Christ, but you need more. You need something else. You need the wisdom that only we can show you. Christ is fine, but it's not enough. It is not sufficient. You need something else. And Paul wants them to know that this is not true. He wants them to know that everything that they have, the faith they have, the hope they have, the grace that they enjoy, everything they have, the peace that they have, comes only through Christ, comes only through the preaching of the word. It comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them that the fruit produced in their lives was by the gospel and by the gospel alone. It was by Christ and by Christ alone. And so in these short words, he's saying to them, all you need is Christ. If you have Christ, you have everything that you need. You don't need to go searching for something else. These people, these heretics, they have nothing to offer you. What you have is all you need, and that is Christ. And we need to learn that lesson ourselves, that all we need is Christ. Everything we need is found in him and in him alone, and it comes to us through the proclamation and the study of the word. May God enable us to be faithful to Christ. May he enable us to find all our all our blessings, all that we need in him and to live to his praise and glory. Amen.